0: Welcome to the Exit Insights podcast. Here's, on this podcast, we're dedicated to bringing you the stories from entrepreneurs, business owners and advisors who help business owners prepare for exit. Joining me today, I've got David Samuel. David's been through the journey. He's been an employee. He grew the business. He bought the business and then he sold the business. And now he's helping other business owners as a Vistage chair. David, why don't you share your story with us?
1: Thank you, um, uh, good day to you, sir. Um, yeah, my story started um, uh, well, many years ago when my dad actually kicked me out of school. Um, he was a lecturer and a teacher and I just started my A-levels and um, partying too much. So he, he coerced me into getting out into the big wild world of work. Um, and I was fortunate to stumble on the world of opticians and optics. And after joining a local family firm in Slough for a year, I went over to join a guy called Duncan Ashby, who became a very close friend of mine and mentor. And we grew an optical business together over the 80s and 90s, which I eventually bought from him with some colleagues through a management buyout. And we had experience of buying businesses, selling some businesses, um, and then eventually exiting the um, the business in uh, about five years ago originally, and then fully exiting this year.
0: So you've been through the whole journey. How does it feel now on this end of the journey compared to your way back then in the eighties and nineties when you were just starting and undertaking the purchase?
1: Well, originally we formed a partnership in the company. So we've had partnerships, limited partnerships, and then we incorporated into limited company as we grew. So back then we started with just one practice in Central Reading, quite a small practice, which we grew. Uh, We eventually ended up with a a cracking partnership of 12 of us, in actual fact, growing the EyeSight business. Um, The original owner of the business, Duncan Ashby, was a real fan of giving equity to his partners in the business. So although he always did maintain that kind of 51% share, uh, we had 11 of us, others, all who had a stake in the business. And that's what really helped drive the business and help it grow because of the extra kind of 10, 20% that we would put in because we knew he had a stake in it. Um, As we grew that business, uh, we added further branches and partners went off to Brighton and Winchester and other places to set up new practices. So we've had experience of setting up businesses from scratch and then we went on a mini acquisition trail and we bought a couple of practices that were existing businesses. Where I learned quite a few lessons about, um, you know, we've all been through um, various trials and tribulations in buying businesses. No one could really teach you that. You do learn a lot yourself when you go through these these processes. One of them we probably paid way over the odds for. Um, another one we got uh, probably a bit of a deal. Um, another one we probably shouldn't have bought because we stretched ourselves a bit too far. So we've we experienced all the different uh, sort of ways. Trials, tribulations of buying businesses,
0: and all the ups and downs and the emotional roller coasters uh, along the way, uh, no doubt as well.
1: Yeah, and the um, you know the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest, and the funniest thing is when I look back to when myself and my three MBO colleagues sat in the solicitor's office um, and had to listen to the solicitor telling us um, who, where our houses would end up if this all went wrong, and where our assets would all end up. So we. We really put everything on the line to grow the business um, and it worked. We eventually got to a really good size of you know, over 70 staff and just uh, just north of 6 million turnover, which all started from a fairly modest practice in the centre of Reading.
0: So it's quite an achievement and, and I think a tribute to uh, what happens when, when business owners um, or what started out with partners and, and getting equity in the, in the business. So aligning, um, all motivated for, for the same goals, if you like, um, pointing everyone in the same direction. So
1: the, the, the first MBO, um, what was the trigger for that? The real trigger was my, when I joined, as I mentioned, Duncan Ashby was the original owner, and he was a brilliant mentor for me. Uh, he basically... Taught me, um, taught me business. He sent me off to business school and paid for my my, uh, paid me to do a masters, paid me for me to do a marketing degree, um, as well as all my optical qualifications. So he was really supporting me to run the business and giving me all the backup that I needed. Um, he also sent me off to join Vistage, in about the year two thousand and one, mm-hmm. um, which is what I I really helped me grow the business because I was in a peer group of. 12, 14 other CEOs from different businesses, and they were. I was able to lean into them for advice, guidance, help, and their experiences that they'd had when they were in my shoes. And that really helped me to grow the business and get the skills together to, to buy the business. Um, it took quite a long time to ex- execute the management buyout, about three years in all, getting all the ducks in a row, um, partly because we were you know, we weren't all rich folks who were buying this business. We were, you know, putting everything on the line to to borrow the money to do it. Um, so, yeah, it took quite a long time, uh, slowly, slowly, you know, uh, to catch the fish, as it were. And we eventually we we landed it, um, and we we had that day that day in the solicitor's office with about four thousand pieces of paper to sign. Um, it was quite an exhilarating and, and tiring day that one.
0: Yeah. And was it the founders uh, pending retirement that that started the the ball rolling for the partners to pick it up and run
1: with it? Yes, it was. It was the the fact that you know Duncan was an amazing guy. I I, uh, love him today. I think he still works pretty much full time, uh, even though he's well into his 70s. And he always wanted us to take the business forward. That was all his dream. When I sit down and say, what are you going to do? How are you going to exit this business? Um, And his thing was always, you know, I want to see you guys taking this forward and making it thrive. So it was his plan to allow us to do a management buyout pretty um, pretty much from the start, I would say. Okay. So it was a
0: plan. So he had right from the very beginning, he had this plan where he was bringing the partners on board with a view to handing it over to them right from the beginning.
1: I believe so. I believe that's why... He was so keen to give us equity in the early days, really so he could get an idea of who in the team, you know, wanted to be a business owner and who didn't. Uh, What was fascinating is when we, when I put together the management buyout team, I spoke to um, the entire management team and said, look, I'm gonna uh, give this a crack. Do you fancy come in with us? And it was really interesting because some of the people said, do you know what? I'm happy in my work I love working here I'm not gonna stop working here but I really don't see myself as a business owner um not a risk taker but I'll happily work here and that was really interesting some of the others said that sounds like fun Let, when when do we start yep. um and a couple of others were well you know I could go in it depends how much I'm going to get out the other end and you know what's in it for me what was interesting, the, the three other guys I went with on the on the buyout team in the end were the three that said that sounds like fun and a challenge. Yeah. Um, everyone else really supported us, which was nice, and gave us all the you know the backing we need. And everyone stayed working with us. But the three people who um, you know put their houses on the line to to do this were all in it for the journey, um, and the fun, and the commitment, and the excitement of doing something that. Uh, very few people really get a chance to do. Absolutely. And there's, there's the first lesson is,
0: is one about that different people have different risk profiles. Some people are quite happy and you know just being employees and showing up and doing a good job every day. Others are going, hey, look, I wanna take the bull by the horns. I've got some ideas, let's go with it. So you've got your team together, David. You've, you've uh, been a partner in the business. Most of you or a few of you have already had equity and, and along for the ride. What changed and what was the difference in, you know, from the day of of taking it over for yourself compared to when you were just a partner? All of a sudden your house is on the line, you've expressed,
1: but what else changed
0: at that point for you?
1: We all all had to grow up pretty quick overnight, um, really, and start taking responsibility, not just for ourselves, but then it dawns on you, you know, you've got 70, 70 staff members They've all got families and other halves. They're relying on you for for their job and their wage, et cetera. So you just, you feel that burden pretty quick. And you think, you know, you do think, what have I done? Um, But you also feel, you do feel privileged and humble to be in that that situation. Um, And so you quickly start learning what the next steps are in the journey.
0: So all of a sudden the house is on the line, it just got real. Um, this, this journey just got serious. And, and I've had other business owners share with me that um, once they've become business owners, they've said, look, I was the most dedicated employee out there. I worked hard, I worked long hours. I, I always said I was working towards a company, all the decisions I made as a manager, a leader in the business, I was doing for the best of the business at heart. But when I became an owner, all of a sudden, I just lived that same journey so much more intensely. Um, it was the only way they were able to describe it to me. All of a sudden, it was intense. And the feelings I felt, you know, just feel felt a lot more amplified. You know, maybe it's because the house was on the line, maybe because everything was on the line, but the whole journey from that day forward just got a whole lot more, you know, I, I guess, just amplified and uh, yeah, exaggerated from a feelings energy perspective.
1: Was that the same for you?
0: Yeah, it is. It really is that
1: accountability to others. I mean, I've always taken the view that if I lost everything, I would just go start again. Um, You know, I can eat beans on toast for tea. I don't crave wildly amazing material things. Um, I do enjoy traveling and other other stuff. But you know, if I lost this all today, I would go out and start cutting people's grass or open a chip shop or do something. So I've always had that confidence in myself that I don't worry too much about the losing everything side of things. Um, but when you're doing that for 70 other people, it becomes a bit more serious. So your focus becomes, you do start looking really closely at who you've got in your team, whether you've got the right people in the team. Um, and you start to look at the business slightly in a slightly different way in terms of how you're gonna grow that business. And you start to also look more intently at the competition and the environment, the kind of political system, the economic outlook. And you start to, um, I remember, I I never really studied economics of the UK at all back in those days. But then I started to think, you know, I need to understand, you know, what is it? What happens if interest rates go up? What happens if interest rates go down? What happens, you know, if the UK borrowing goes up and down? And all those things, which you kind of hear, you know, hear going on in the background suddenly you have to take an interest and start looking forward and planning okay what impact might they have in three four or five years time and so you're constantly alert, on the alert looking out for you know both warning signs and danger signs for your business but also opportunities to grow and to change the business for the better yep
0: and and so everything's now in a lot sharper focus you're paying a lot more attention you're you're a lot more astute in what's happening. You're, you're now looking after, well, 70 families as opposed to just one, and you know, that just you know, intensifies everything. Mm-hmm. So you're running the business, and now you're starting on the acquisition trail. And, and I think you mentioned you, you, you paid over Lodge. You had, you, you, you had several different experiences. What do you wish you knew right then, like the, the time when you made your first acquisition? What do you wish you knew
1: then before you jumped into that? <laughs> um. I actually don't wish I'd known anything different because I've enjoyed the journey so much, and I wouldn't go back and change and change that for the, any of that for the world, really. Um, what I would like to have known, and my advice to other people would be, probably watch out for your own ego. Um, we we acquire one of the, one of our acquisitions was definite ego purchase, um, as opposed to. Uh, a really solid, sound business. So if you if you find yourself with your ego getting in the way, make sure you've got people around you who are going to, um, you know, poke you in the chest and say, "Hang on, David, who's doing the <laughs> who's doing the talking here?" Um, the I was very fortunate that I had that in my three partners, um, and they grounded me and kept me uh, kept my feet on the ground when I got it over and too optimistic. So you need a balance.
0: A balance, yep. And, and when you say ego, you mean, are you suggesting the ego in the size that you are getting excited um, over the fact that you are building an
1: empire or starting to build an empire type of thing? Yeah, probably I guess now. And it was never my intention to kind of build a huge empire, but you do get sort of dragged along on um, you know, on the way. You start to meet other people who've been you know, acquiring practice and you think, you know, I'm as uh, switched on as those guys, I can I can do this as well. So the danger is you get too excited. Um, and show your hand too easily during an acquisition, end up uh, doing what I did. I'm probably playing a bit over the odds, um, getting too caught up in the, you know, imagining where you can take an acquisition um, and make it really sort of swing for you, as opposed to, you know, looking at it from the buyer's perspective and thinking, um, what is this, what is this really worth? Where is the real, real value? Yeah.
0: So how did you value these, these acquisitions, David? Did, did you have advisors on board to help you and, and, and uh, support you through the process? How, how did you manage that part?
1: We did to a degree. In the optical world, it's kind of um, it's relatively formulaic buying a practice. But the thing I learned mostly was if you've got people in the business who have a stake in it, the chances of success are much higher. And what was interesting with our group of practices is where we had people working in them who had a stake um, in the business, the success was higher than those practices where we didn't. That's not to say that the people who worked in the ones who didn't have equity partners in them weren't successful, they were, but it's that additional gravitas that a business owner gives you in terms of local community, local knowledge, and wanting to learn around the subject of running a business rather than doing the day-to-day, work so i make you a know, big fan of having people um equ- giving them equity in a in a company yeah
0: so if the owners the the founders of the practice you were purchasing came on board with you uh for an earn out or for a certain amount of time it, it really uh, had a big impact on on the um implementing of that practice into
1: your business or integrating. it, it did and what i remember the the uh, the couple we bought the practice off Um, I'm still friends with them now. They really wanted us to succeed. And they actually did everything they could to help us get a really smooth handover. Um, And the, all of the patients came across without any any trouble because it was all done together. Even though they kind of exited the business fairly soon after we we bought it, um, they did it with our, they gave all of the customers our blessing and handed them over to us in, in a really nice way. So that worked really well.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing with small businesses, isn't it? You know, the, the business owners are really close to their clients often and and they're, they're keen to leave a legacy. You know, they've, they've spent their life building their, building something up and, and creating something of value. Yeah, it's in their best interest and, and and here's where the ego comes in again. They wanna see that keep living on and surviving and, and, and passing on for another generation or so and uh, see that prosper. So there's where the ego plays uh, in a positive as well, I, I guess.
1: Yes, it works. It does work both ways. It's um, You do need to have a certain amount of get up and go and gumption to go and knock on a few doors. Um, and certainly the two of the acquisitions we picked up, they never actually came to the market. They came through industry knowledge and us keeping our ears to the ground um, and getting in touch with the owners when we thought something was... Um, thought something was up. One of my favorite phone calls was from um, uh, Stephen. I won't give his, I won't give it a game away, but he phoned me up and said, um, David, you know, we spoke about a year ago. I says, yes. He said, yes. He said, my wife's told me it's about time I sold you our business. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it is important to understand not just who owns a business, but um, who influences a business. They're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so uh, we've been building it up and uh, we've heard some of the, the, the pros. What about some of the mistakes you made along the way? Yeah, we've got people listening to the, the podcast. Uh, they're at that stage where they're, they're perhaps about to make their own acquisition or, or MBO or, or um, you know, bring someone in. What were some of the mistakes that, that you
1: made and, and wish you'd known some things earlier? I think the one thing is to listen to people around you. Quite often, you can get so um, you know you can get so hyped up around an acquisition that you know your your brain's telling you one thing, and you're just full steam ahead. And if you've built yourself a good team around you, really listen to what they're saying. And if they're saying something that you know is ringing alarm bells, really go really go deep without listening, because quite often other people see you. Uh, and see the situation in more objective light. So it's quite tough when you're in the middle of these things to um, you, know, you think you're, you, know, you think you're stepping back and being objective. Um, but you're, you may not be. Um, so I had my business, my three partners, and we had a kind of a, a mantra between us that we would we wouldn't be afraid to challenge each other if we thought one of us was you know, not quite with it. And also I had my Vistage peer group. So I had people there that would had no axe to grind, no no vested interest apart from me being successful, and they would say if I was being an ass, they say David, you're being an ass. Um, they wouldn't beat around the bush. So yeah, having having that, and on the in the early days, I didn't really, I did have that, but I was definitely guilty of not listening as much as I probably should to people. And also, the other big thing was the. One thing I learned later on was to talk to the, the team and your staff uh, through the whole organization. have all got your back far more than you think. And I got a lot of useful help and advice and guidance and thoughts from just going and walking the four corners of the, of the business, going out for coffee with one of our reception teams, one of the practice and saying, you know, tell me, yeah, how do you see this? How, you know, tell me what it's really like working in this organization. And that's where you get the proper, you know, <laughs> the proper people from the coal face telling you what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and that can be invaluable um, to give you the clues into how you can make that business uh, improve. And what you can do to acquisitions, to, you know, what you can bring into acquisitions to improve the performance of, of those elements of the business.
0: Yeah, that's, it's often the way, isn't it? The people at the coalface often have the best ideas around how to do things. So you've been working at it and, and, and you mentioned that, you know, sometimes the best advice is to, is to listen to people who aren't emotionally attached. Um, You know, so they're, they're, they're not blinded if you like by what's going on or or the potential outcomes. So how often I'm, 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 told that uh, integrating a business into a practice once you've made the acquisition then the hard work starts you've got to integrate the business into your business especially if you're bringing it into one site but you've got several sites you know what what did you learn when integrating these practices
1: into your your existing business yep well the bit I fortunately learned before embarking on this journey was that culture is the number one thing to consider when bringing two businesses together Um, The rule number two is see rule number one culture. If you get the people, if you get the people right, everything else can be sorted. Um, If you get the people wrong, it doesn't matter how clever you are with everything else doesn't work. And we're very much into, you know, we needed to be a big team. So interviewing the, you know, the staff members in the businesses that we were looking at was a key key part of those acquisitions Um, and we did actually walk away from a few because we knew that wasn't going to work so that was something I learned from um, from others and that helped me in really good stead Um, the the people have to have to be the right mix have to be the right cultural fit Um, and you're obviously always going to get a few teething troubles here and there but by and large that that for me would be, be the thing
0: so you've now exited this business so you had a strategy where you were growing organically and acquiring other practices in the region sounds like a successful plan what led to you you coming to the decision that it was time
1: to exit yourself Um, a few things we'd uh, we'd been through some really good times then we've been through a few more uh, difficult times and we got to a point where we we had a re we reevaluated the business and we we felt we were going to probably stagnate because we hit a point where we couldn't really grow any faster without you know, getting some private equity in or doing something bigger with the equity. Um, also, from a um, a lifestyle perspective, I was getting a bit older and I always wanted to move out of owning a business into coaching other business owners. That's of my plan. Um, Jim, who was my sidekick, we just managed to get him on the Golden Sachs, uh, 10,000 um, uh, MBO co- cohort. Um, and so he went off and did that for nine months and came back with a, a business plan and so, said, there you go, David, um, here's our five-year plan. And I could only say one thing, which was, there you go, Jim, it's your, it looks like this is your five-year plan. So we set about looking at how we would execute on that. And the best way for us was to join forces with a larger business, um, who um, help independent opticians to grow um, by joint venturing with them okay. so we actually went into a joint venture program um, which we're still involved with and that helped get all of our, a lot of our back office stuff sorted out helped out with a few cash flow challenges which we saw down the horizon allowed me to exit and Jim to take over as a new MD and take it forward so it kind of fitted everybody's Criteria from a lifestyle perspective, um, and kind of crystallise the value of of what we've been doing for five years, because you know everything's still on the line, and that way, you know, <laughs> five years down the track, all of the personal guarantees and stuff that you've uh, you've written don't disappear; they're still there. But that has to crystallise that, and to sort of move forward, um, and that's worked really successfully, to you know, to the, to the point where you know, I, in fact, when we sold the business, we still kept a small stake in it between the four of us for a you know, rainy day, I guess. Um, and it's still nice to be part of that.
0: Okay, so did you sell it out to the next generation or did you sell it out to a,
1: um, uh, a larger acquirer? So a larger large acquirer in a joint venture capacity. Yep. And their, their plan is to, they always work in joint venture um, mode and so their plan is to bring others into that business as joint equity partners to work at the at the coalface. Okay. So as soon as uh, as soon as we find the right people to come in and join um, that business, then that will grow. That will go on its next leg of, of growth. I'm sure. righty. So how long ago was that now? So that was two and a half, three years ago. Yep. And that all happened, um, and it's all been going. All been going well. They've done a year of um, tidying things up and getting, you know, working on margins and working on integrating all the systems and processes so there can be overhead savings from the point of view of you know, all the back office you know, back office work. And now, through lockdown, they've been doing really well. Um, opticians, luckily, have been able to stay open most of the time, so um, they've been really focusing on looking after their communities and and, and diving in there to, to help all kinds of eye people with eye problems to keep keep the hospitals free of uh, eye problems so they can focus on, uh, on looking after the, the rest of us so yeah there's it's going really well down there and um, I do keep a, you know, an avid interest in their progress.
0: So there you have it so someone who's now been through the journey beginning to end You've you know, done some acquisitions, you've done some mergers, you've done the MBO yourself, you've now exited. So you've been through the whole journey. You're now working as a Vistage chair, supporting other business owners, um, you know, if I've heard correctly, the common theme that you've shared throughout the journey is that you are always bringing in fresh energy, you know, and that whether it be new businesses or bringing in support and guidance through through your Vistage Hub and, and other advisors to guide you, you know, so people who had no emotional attachment uh, to it or emotional. So what's the, I guess, the one thing that you'd really like to make sure that listeners
1: hear uh, and take away from your story, David? Um, I would say um, getting yourself involved in some kind of peer group. Um, so I run my Vistage group, correct, but I also run a, um, a, a similar concept of Vistage, but within my old Pond of Optics. So I also look after about 20 other independent optical business owners. And, and obviously I coach them one-to-one um, and, and all the rest of it. But the real power is when you get people in a room and you facilitate a discussion on a, on a challenging topic or issue or opportunity and you and you draw out the brains of everyone in the room to focus on that one individual um, it's what we do in Vistage and it's why I, you know I obviously being a member of Vistage for many years myself had the benefit of that so that now I'm trying to give that uh, dish that dish that back out again so it's it's really surrounding yourself with the right people. So you've got the, the peer group of people who don't have a vested interest. It's also really important to surround yourself in your own business with people that are better than you at stuff. Um, I was uh, being interviewed uh, on a, at, a, at a conference or on the same topic and, and uh, someone said to me, you know, what's the biggest lesson that you learned? And it really was from Duncan, which was surround yourself with people who are better than you. Um, to which my HR lady Kate chirped up and said, um, you're very good at that, David. You're always very good at that. <laughs> um and it's something yeah, it's something that a lot of people struggle with because you know, as a head of an organization, you think, well, I need to know everything. I need to the natural thing is so, well, I need to know everything about everything, and I need to bring other people in to delegate to. Um, it's um responsibility and accountability that needs to be delegated, not jobs and tasks. Um, So surrounding yourself with people who are better than you at at those things is crucial um, and listening to them.
0: I think you've nailed something that I've noticed over the years as well, is that um, business owners can have the nature of being control freaks. one of the things that holds them back from growing is that they haven't figured out how to create a management structure that will grow with their business and allows them to delegate responsibility and accountability as you suggest but maintain control at the same time and yeah it's great to yeah and we need to delegate you know as the owner of the business and as the leader you need to have a a sense that you're feeling that you're controlling growth you're controlling the processes not directly but the processes and systems are in control and the business is is growing in a controlled sense so yeah it's good to get that feedback and it's one of the things that you know i guess we work on at succession plus is we we make sure that you know businesses have that structure that, that enable the owners to step back and and create value in the business by not being involved themselves on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Brilliant.
0: Well, David, thanks for joining me on the show. It's been a great story and, uh, and a journey so far. And by the sounds of it, uh, you're on uh, phase two or, or could even be phase three now uh, with your career as a Vistage chair. And look, you, I've just been sitting here admiring that view behind us. Why don't you finish off and uh, just explain if, if there's anything significant about that view?
1: Yeah, this is, um, this is a holiday three years ago in, um, on the Amalfi Coast, um, Positano. And this is where I decided to make the big change in the business. Um, I went on a longer walk <laughs> down some very steep stairs to the coast and back up again. Um, and it was on that holiday where I kind of looked out and thought, you know, you've got to you know, the horizon there, you have to look beyond the horizon. And that horizon and that picture was, um, was on my balcony. And, you know, that, that's where Sam thought, you know, Jim's just been on this, on this journey with Goldman Sachs. He's worked really hard to produce this plan. It really is his plan. So that, that was the catalyst. Um, you know, take it there, hence, hence the background. This was, a, this was a lovely view off of our balcony.
0: So it seems like a nice way to finish the show. Thanks for joining us and I wish you the best for uh, your ongoing career as a Vistage Chair. Thank
1: Thank you very much. And uh, may I wish all of your listeners the very best in business.